Hey, all right, let's gather back in. Let's have a seat. Those conversations are interesting, but wait to see what Kyle's got for you. All right. (laughs) All right. Great. I see a lot of coffee in the hands. That's awesome. All right. Well, today uh, we're going to continue in our series benefit package. And uh, I want to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. Read all the way through 13. If you got the, the app out, you can even switch to the CSB ver- uh, translation, because that's what, that's what we're going off of today. All right. Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. For we also have received the good news just as they did. But the message they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest in keeping with what he has said. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest, even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day, God rested from his work. Again, in that passage, he says, they will never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience, he again specifies a certain day, today. He specified this speaking through David after such a long time. Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us, then, make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It is able to judge thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Well, good morning. We've started off with a story, and we'll get into another one here shortly. If we haven't met yet, my name is Kyle. I'm the lead pastor here at Generations Church, and uh, we are joining God in this incredible story called life that he is working uh, in our lives and through our lives collectively, and the story that he is weaving together here. So when Jonathan stands up and says, hey, like fill out a connection card. We want to get to know you. Um, as you experience, you saw us like pray together and ask you to respond in that way. Like that's not by accident. Like we believe that God is at work and we are responding to that reality. Um, so I hope that um, as you've experienced that this morning, that if you weren't aware that that's what type of church we are, this is what type of church we are to respond to Jesus, to expand his family, to get to know his story and how that story intersects our lives and get to know your story as well. 
And we look forward to getting to know your story. Noah is such a graphic story. Can I just state that? Like, I don't know if you, like, some of the words that were read, like, if, if that hits you and, like, realize, like, what was happening about the realities and the depravity and the, the nature and the weight of what it means to actually trust God in the midst of people in a world defining right and wrong in their own eyes, deciding what's right and wrong in their own heads. Our eyes, our minds, what we believe to be right and wrong can be so deceitful and misleading. Anyone um, in, not allowed to like go grocery shopping by yourself and your family? Like, 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 because you know, if, if whoever is, does the grocery shopping, like they hand you a list and say, get these like 10 things. And then like, you're the one who says, okay, I got the 10 things. And then you find yourself down the ice cream aisle or the cookies or the chips. And it's like, Hey, I know this isn't on the list, you know, and just start scooping, scooping that in. And it's like, and even if you're on some sort of like meal plan or, and it's like, Hey, we're, we're going to eat healthy. We're going to do this. It's like, you, you, you just. Find yourself down that ice cream aisle. I will not point any fingers of who does that in my family. Um, but, you know, sometimes you just find yourself down that on. And so no matter how healthy you try to eat or if you've got the list and you're drying the things, it's like when, if you're trying to eat healthy and, and be mindful about what you consume, you know, when you add those sugars and those types of food to your diet, it doesn't actually remove the nutrients from the meal, but it surely lessens the effect of what good things, sustaining things can do if we're not mindful about just all the additives and some of the junk that we add to our shopping list and ultimately to our diets. Anybody struggle with insomnia? You know, that, that idea of like you, you just can't sleep, um, where it keeps you up for long hours at night and it, it seems like, you know, it just... You, just can't get to sleep. Your body is so tired. You're so exhausted. You want to sleep. You long to sleep, but you just can't fall asleep. It seems like every time your head hits the pillow, you know, it's like those thoughts are just running through your head. Like your mind just won't shut off. And you're like, okay, how do I get my mind to stop? And, And maybe it's from different things. Maybe it's something of what you eat that keeps you up late or maybe it's it's that blue light on your phone that it's like you you just know it's like you try to cope with that reality to just say okay maybe if I just drown like kind of drown myself in this like whatever I'm watching maybe it'll help me go to sleep and then you don't go to sleep so you just keep consuming maybe it's a level of worry and then we start to realize it's like when we can't sleep anybody else it's like when you can't don't sleep well when you don't get rest, you realize how it affects everything. It doesn't allow you to work effectively. It affects your relationships. You're shorter with the people you care about. And you're like, I don't know why that came out of my mouth. It just did with that tone. Again, not pointing fingers. Um, some of you are trying to be healthy and lose weight, but your sleep affects that. I just know that when I don't get sleep, I can get irritable, and despite my best intentions, lack of sleep, my desire to want to sleep affects my mood, it affects relationships, I can be hard to be around, and I can even make decisions on a whim, 
to just kind of get through it. And sometimes those decisions have long-term consequences, but because I didn't get sleep or I'm not well rested, I can't engage or think or be present. You ever find yourself when you're, you're, you're tired, it's like you're, you're, all you're thinking about is sleep and how you're tired and you're not and then you just kind of ignore everything else around you. And that's kind of some of the effects of insomnia, and some of us have spiritual insomnia. The act of living a life that never truly rests on God. This is where we find ourselves in Hebrews. There's a group of Christians who are weary and worn out. They're kind of wondering, and, and their eyes and their heart are starting to drift. And they're trying to consider all of these other spiritual options because they are restless. And they wonder if following Jesus is truly enough. Because it seems like as they have engaged with Jesus, as they've tried to follow him, as he has even transformed their lives, they wonder... Why hasn't life, why hasn't our circumstances quite turned around like we thought they would be? So they're on the verge of saying, I'm done. And surely something else will bring more stability and certainty in my life other than Christ. So as you join us today in the middle of this benefits package series, as we're working through the book of Hebrews, you need to know a couple things that what we've been journaling and documenting together to help us find a level of stability and security to realize the benefits that come from Jesus in contrast to all the other options. And so we've been looking at some statements, specifically who Jesus is. And so as we look at Hebrews chapter 4, we need to realize that this is addressed to Christians. So those of you who aren't baptized believers, we want you to be aware of the benefits of Christ and the seriousness of following Jesus. And become aware that Jesus isn't some magic fairy dust to make problems go away, but he ultimately can provide a stability that nothing else in our world can and so we want to talk about that, we want to sing about that, we want to think about how that applies to our life, and we want you to know that as we talk about the benefits and the reality of Jesus, that you can have access to those same benefits. And so consider that an option today. But also that the author and speaker of this book of Hebrews is building a case that Jesus is better and to not give up. So for those of you who are believers when the options seem better elsewhere in life, to believe lies and kind of forego the benefits, to trust in Jesus and don't give up following him. And as I already mentioned briefly, number three, that we are building a list of who Jesus is. That Jesus is our high priest. He sits enthroned. That he is who he says he is. We've got this incredible list, and let me just pull us out to mention a few other, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the revelation of God, that Jesus is the remedy for sin, that Jesus is better than the angels, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is worthy of praise, that Jesus is a righteous ruler, that Jesus is everlasting, that Jesus is enthroned, that he's the builder of God's house, he 
is the apostle, the first. So as we consider adding to that list, let me say this, that Jesus is the way for true rest. You know, you can lie down and not really rest. Everyone done that and it's like you lay down and you're just like you take a nap and then you wake up and you're like I'm more tired after I wake up and it's like how did I fall asleep but I did not wake up refreshed verse 1 of chapter 4 says therefore while you promise to enter his rest remains let us fear that none of you should miss it for we have received the good news just as they did but the message they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. This is a transition on a case study looking at the nation of Israel. They're contrasting the nation of Israel with that of Moses and ultimately of Jesus. See, this people, they were near the works of God. They participated in his plan. They were elected, yet they did not believe. They knew of the benefits of rest and could even experience pieces of it, but yet did not experience it fully. Just as you can lie down and sleep, but feel more tired when you wake up. You can go through the motions, but your body is not refreshed. Just as they experienced the power and works of God. They saw him at work, yet did not experience his total rest. Just so we're on the same page this morning, Rest is the word Shabbat. It means to stop or put down or disposing of stuff. It's a change of state from activity that results in the feeling of refreshment. This word rest is used numerous times in this passage. And so to get a, a full understanding, when this word is described metaphorically throughout Scripture, it often refers to God's blessing of safety, security, and salvation tied directly to his presence with humanity. Rest, in other words, means there's a, I'll use it this way, there's an exhale. You don't have to be so clenched all the time and concerned in future trips. And allow your mind to go be consumed with the past and that actually distracts you from the present. Or even be so consumed with the future that you miss out the present. And that you're so tightly wound that one thing just seems to unwind you and spin you. But rest means that we are so safe and secure. And there's a place of rest because God's presence within us. Rest applied or Shabbat applied manifests in different ways. And the author is going to reference two of them so that we know is how this starts to help us move in our world and those around us. Because the availability of rest or to stop worrying about provision and trust God's promises was available to the Israelites in the wilderness, yet it was of no benefit because they did not believe it in their heart by living like it was true. See, the benefits of rest come when you believe in that rest. When you believe in the giver of that rest, the promise of that rest, and not believe that you can find a level of comfort, 
control, approval, or power from other things. And what happens is we actually forego rest when we chase after those. When we think, if I just had a little more say in my workplace, or a little more influence here, or if I knew a little more information about what's going on with my kids, then surely I will have a sense of peace. And we get so concerned about maybe it's knowledge of information or influence or say, or we crave the words of affirmation from another. Say, man, if I just heard that from a father, from a loved one, then I could know I'm going to be all right. But those are lesser and fickle. And ultimately, they never fill us up. And so the rest that's available to us is when we experience the power and the work of God. That's what fills us up because it's a promise that doesn't just start and leave. It's a promise that starts and sustains. And so they want this author says that the Israelites experienced it, but they had a general restlessness that couldn't keep them anchored. These early Christians had a general restlessness as well, and so do we. And so in verse 3 through 11, the author compares and contrasts two different types of rest. He utilizes this creation story, this Genesis 2-2 of, of God creating the earth, and then on the seventh day resting, and then referring back to Psalm 95, which is what he cites in chapter 3. And he uses these together and weaves them together to help us get an understanding of how the rest at the beginning of creation moves and is available to the people of God in redemptive history and then is ultimately and more profoundly available to us as well. And he compares and contrasts these to make a specific point. The absence of your greatest nightmare or the achievement of your greatest dream is an actual rest. We spend so much of our lives trying to jockey for positions to avoid our greatest nightmare or pursue some version of our greatest dream that we sacrifice actual rest available to us. So in reference to the creation story, we know that God didn't stop working but that he stopped working on creation. His presence with his creation was important. Filling the earth with his presence. There is a divine rest that's disturbed then by rebellion. That divine rest is achieved by God's intervention, but in verse 9 it says, therefore a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. See, a foundation is being built that a seventh day isn't restful enough for the people of God. The idea that if I go back to the greatest discipline, I'll have better rest. Nuh-uh. Your body, maybe, but not your soul. This is why the author adds in Joshua. Even though Joshua was able to bring Israel into the promised land, it was meant as a picture of total rest. They could get to the place that they were working so hard to get to. Turn that two-week journey into a 40-year journey. They finally arrived. And yet it still ain't good enough. They grumble. They complain. They rebel. They interrupt and cease to believe 
God's promise. They ceased to believe who God has called them to be. They would grow restless in the land of promise. Restlessness comes from unbelief. It's when you take something into your own hands to handle. And then when you take it into your own hands, you feel the weight that it might take to handle it. And then the weight comes too much for you. Because you were never meant to carry it in the first place. And what happens is hardening your hearts, fam, because we are family here. And we need to remind each other to take time to encourage one another. To not be reluctant to respond to God. To stop being stubborn and wrestle away from God what it's his to do. See, that's what hardening your hearts, what we do time and time again, is we wrestle away from God what's his to do. We think it's our responsibility when it's not. It's his. It's thinking that I could do it and I could do it better. See, for the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own work, just as God did from his. You do not have to work to earn rest. You have to be willing to receive it. And the rest is provided to us in Christ. It's through faith and believing in his name and responding in baptism, allowing that to transform your heart. And then as you begin to live that out, you start to say, okay, it's Christ's finished work. It's his powerful resurrection that allows me to, I don't have to worry about control. I don't have to need the words of affirmation because I already stand approved because it's he who sits on the throne. It's he who calls me love. He, he who invites me into the forever family and the story. And that starts to change your actions and your mindset. And when you wonder, why aren't things quite working out the way they're supposed to? It can provide a level of comfort that says, I know how the story ends. And that becomes the truth. So stop wrestling away God's work from him. Because there's more rest that God has to give us in order for us to fully experience it. So it's developing a lifestyle of trusting in the Lord. Of listening and responding. See, Israel had a divine job description. First, be fruitful and multiply. Second, in Exodus 19, be a priesthood as a nation to draw other nations in. So church, now I'll say it this way in light of Matthew 28. We are, our divine job description is to be with Jesus, be united with him in baptism, and then become more like him and allow that to affect where we live, work, and play. That is the sum total of it. If you ask, what am I supposed to do in my daily life? What's my purpose? What's my responsibility? Be with Jesus. Be united with him and become like him. And allow that to flow into your relationships. And so we should make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. And all that disobedience is, is rearranging the job description and wrestling away from God what is rightfully his. See, we sometimes think of rest as an externality to be pursued or achieved. And we always forgo our divine rest by setting aside of that divine job description. See, the temptation is to think of rest as a day off, as not being inconvenienced, as things going according to plan, or just general steadiness in our outer world. Whether that brings a level of leisure 
I can do what I want, when I want, however I want. I get to enjoy those types of things. Or accomplishment. Look at what I've done. Look at the things I've built. Look at the, 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 my morality, maybe. Or look at, look at the success in my job or the general behavior of, of my kids or, or how our family operates. And what happens is the same as, it's the same as Israel. It's seeing the power and promise of God in the wilderness and saying, God won't be true to who he, ha- he is and how he has been. So it's up to me to manufacture that. It's up to me to produce that. And we think production results in connection with God. And in reality, it's the connection, the being with him, that then results and produces fruit. So the author begins to give us some direction to not fall into this pattern of disobedience. And just to clarify that disobedience is simply not responding to the Lord the way he directs. It's, the, it's, it's when you feel a prompting or a nudge. It's, it's maybe this morning. It's when Charles says, hey, hey, do you need prayer? It's the, I know I need prayer. I feel like I should raise my hand and say prayer, but I'm going to pull it down and say no. It's, I feel like I should go pray with someone and say, well, no, surely someone else will do it. That's actually building a stubbornness and a callous in our heart to say no to the Spirit rather than saying yes. And so, again, what we try to do here in our gatherings is help you practice a responsiveness to the Spirit that then doesn't simply stay here, but moves to where you live, work, and play. And that takes, like, just like working out, you've got to build some muscles. We've got to start asking and hearing and responding. And sometimes that's difficult for us to get. It says, for the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as separation of soul, spirit, joint, and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas and the thoughts of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are taken and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account. See, the word helps us evaluate our inner lives and our inner reluctance at times. We know we can act a certain way externally. But exposure to the word works internally. It gives us clarity on our areas of unbelief. The author uses this Old Testament to show us how to trust, uses the Old Testament how trust in angels or trust in your heroes like Moses doesn't bring rest. It always brings greater rebellion in the sense that it trusts in something or someone tangible because we don't trust the promises of God about our identity and direction given to us by the word of God. The idea of a sword penetrating our souls may seem harsh and distasteful. So let's try another metaphor. Have you ever talked about something in a conversation and then you happen to start seeing ads on your phone? It's like, how did it know? The algorithm's feeding me something. And maybe you just did a quick Google search and you're like, man, why? And sometimes it's like we start getting ads for things and we're like, why am I seeing this ad or this thing like that? How did it know? Well, this technological algorithm is feeding you what it thinks you want. Or sometimes the type of videos or ads you linger on over a little too long, you start getting those products for. Yes, it's an algorithm that analyzes your age, demographic, what you search, and oftentimes in the privacy of our own home, where there's no watchful eye. The Bible is no different. 
It's not our conversations, but our hearts that it reads. It crawls through and analyzes our thoughts and our actions. It reads us as we engage with it. And the word always feeds us what we need. It can convict and it can comfort. And what's amazing is there's no VPN for our souls. We can't hide the data of our hearts like we can sometimes on our phones. You can't hide your data from the Lord. The word will assess your tendencies and your inclinations and feed you back truth as it cuts away the lies. And so there are two pitfalls when it comes to this reality. We start to limit our exposure to the word. We don't like where it cuts and how it reads us. So we'll distance ourselves from it. And because we know how effective it can be, we begin to weaponize it with we begin to weaponize it for our own gain. We distance or we weaponize it rather than allowing the word to do the work and us not stepping in and thinking we have to do the word's work. See, to rest is to trust that the word will do the work. The spirit will do the work that the spirit can do. And as you respond to the word and to the spirit, practicing resting is not on your capability or your competency or your level of comfort, but on the finished work of Christ. He did the work. So believe it and respond. And what the Hebrews author is going to do, he's going to build his next argument on this final work as the high priest. But the question we have to ask and pause ourselves right now is, how are we growing in knowledge of the word? And how are we continuing to practice our responsiveness to the Spirit? We talk about how we organize our gatherings here and to try to build some of that muscle memory that it translates into the everyday things of life. But I just want to highlight that sometimes even what's shared from stage helps us do that as well. A couple weeks back, one of the possible takeaways was to rewrite your testimony. Rewrite the work that God has done in your life, how you became a Christ follower, how, you, how following Jesus is continuing to change you, and how that's showing up in your life. Some of you listened to that and then did it and have been able to share it, and it's been used in powerful ways. And some of you are like, oh, Kyle, that's a nice idea for someone else or someone else to do. And you maybe even felt the spirit stirring in your heart. Oh, that's probably something I should do is to actually write down my story in a way that it helps me internalize it and then be able to share it effectively. But you've put it off. And so I didn't bring that back to you to be like some of the others who are trying to listen and respond and not because there's some super Christian. If you would talk to many of them who have done that, they would feel the most inadequate to share their story that they should be the least ones to, to share it or, or to do it. But because they're listening and responding, God is continuing to demonstrate his power in their life through the miracles and the moments and the changes since they have trusted. Two weeks ago, Tony, the executive director of the CEA, came and shared, and he asked to say, hey, Thanksgiving's coming. Why don't you write a letter to someone who you were thankful for? And it's, I was grateful to say is that I actually received some of those letters that some of you all wrote. Some of you probably wrote letters and gave them to others. And I got to tell you, it really invigorated me to receive like, man, I guess I didn't realize that that timely word at that moment was helpful. You have people in your life who you are thankful for. 
And just because Thanksgiving has passed doesn't mean you need to pause your Thanksgiving or your generosity. And maybe you need to say, no, that's something I need to do. I need to identify someone, write them a letter, and say how thankful I am for them. And that God may be bringing that person in your head right now. You're like, man, I'm thankful, and I just haven't told them in a while. Quit saying no and do it. Trust that no matter how awkward or odd that might be to say, so I was at church on a Sunday and the pastor said I should write a note and so here's the note like <laughs> how yeah I mean you can make it as awkward as you want but the reality is is when we're grateful as Tony said that's contagious and especially in a time of the hustle and bustle of the holidays may we be people who aren't so anxious to get through the holidays and how it's going to work out but can be present and responsive to what the Lord's asking us to do. And some of you, as you do that, you're going to build that responsiveness, the, the hearing the Spirit and going. And those are just a couple ways. Those aren't the only ways. The Lord may bring something to your mind to pay for a coffee behind you, to text a friend, to buy someone groceries i don't know what it will be but whatever stirs your spirit as you hear the word may you respond and then may we also be people who cut out that excess fat who instead of adding other things to the cart we stick to the list see because oftentimes we believe jesus has the need we need that Jesus has the rest we need, that the word has what we need, and that that's available to us, and we can receive that, and we need that ice cream. <laughs> we need those extra little things. We pile additional things into our lives because we say, Jesus, I hear you, I see, I know you offer that rest, and I need this. I know I'm supposed to trust God and this and we build things in our lives those calluses that say we we have these because it's kind of like a break glass in case of emergency that's filled with other items except for the lord so maybe we should replace our additives our break glass in case of emergency with actually believing and trusting that God is and will fulfill what he said he would do. And so maybe we got to replace some of those additives. So maybe instead of listening to sports talk radio on the car in the morning, maybe it's an audio Bible. Maybe it's instead of you turning on your favorite podcast first, you listen to an audio Bible. Maybe it's um, instead of you know, picking up your phone the first thing in the morning and just beginning the scroll that you take 30 seconds to say, what is a verse for the day on version? That maybe it's you, you end your day and instead of mindlessly watching shows, maybe you say, okay, who is maybe a couple things to refresh my spirit and help me lay my head down well so that I can actually sleep and trust God. We begin to replace the additives and repattern our hearts and our lives with the word and the spirit so that we can rest because rest begins in the soul 
as the band comes and we sing one last song, I believe that a church that will be effective in our world together will have a non-anxious presence. It's a church that believes in Christ and in his truth and starts to cut out some of the additives and simply respond. It's a church, it's believers who are truly non-anxious in their jobs, in their homes, as they interact with strangers and friends, as they interact with the outer world, they will have a sense of purpose and love that cannot be removed because their life, their lifestyle is one of rest on Jesus. And that they can withstand the pressure of both the realities of the outer world and the lies that sometimes we tell ourselves on the inner world that attempt to sway us. See, rest begins in the soul. And may we grow in our responsiveness to the Spirit, and may we grow in our engagement with the Word, and may we be people who remember that we have stepped into a big, beautiful story. And we chase after entering the rest. And we await the final rest, the eternal rest, is available to us for all eternity. For friends, we have an incredible benefit. And that is Jesus and the rest he offers. So may you consider that, believe that, and respond to that today. Let's just stand and respond together.